something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. everybody welcome to movie crush friday interview edition uh with justin mcelroy one of the uh one of the mcelroy brothers and if you're a fan of podcasting that's probably all i need to say but if you don't know the mcelroy brothers i'm talking about uh, justin the eldest uh, travis mcelroy who's right there in the middle and then little baby brother griffin Uh, griffin's been on the show you remember him from groundhog day kind of early on in movie crush and these guys are great. They're friends of mine. Uh, they do My Brother, My Brother and Me. They do uh, The Adventure Zone. Um, Justin and his his lovely, wonderful wife, uh, Sydney, who is a medical doctor, do Sawbones, which is a great podcast about kind of weird medical history. Um, it, it's the family business. They do Adventure Zone with their dad, who's also a great guy. I've had dinner with him, uh, with him once. And they're, they're good dudes. Uh, I met them through, um, like I've met so many people at Max Fun Con through the Max Fun Network with my buddy Jesse Thorne. So many great things have come my way because of that. And uh, we hung out at Max Fun Con uh, quite a few times. They've been there a few times with me, uh, sometimes with the wives, sometimes without. And I've gotten to know their families, and I just couldn't speak more highly of Justin and the gang. They're they're good people, and they do great work. My brother, my brother and me is a dare I say, a legendary comedy podcast at this point uh, here at 10 Years In. And they got a great following. Uh, check it out. It's technically 
an advice show, but it's really much more than that. It's just good comedy from three very, very funny brothers. And here we go. His pick was uh, With Nail and I, the 1987 uh, comedy, indie comedy out of England from writer and director Bruce Robinson. If you haven't seen this movie, and I say this in the episode, uh, you can stream it, I believe, only on the Criterion channel, which you can get a two-week free trial of and then cancel if you want. But I would keep it because Criterion does great stuff. Uh, but if you haven't seen With Nail and I, please, please seek it out. It is um, great in every way. One of my favorite movies. And this was Justin's pick. So here we go with the great Justin McElroy on With Nail and I. How you doing? Yeah, good. Good. You look well. Well, thanks. I feel well. Feel great. Well, couldn't be better. Is everyone is everyone healthy? How how are the kids? How's Sydney? How's the No, family? one of the kids got okay. <clears throat> is this the show? Or are we just talking? This is the show. This is going to be I never felt like the show. It felt like show chuck. You it's, know what I mean? This is, this show is chuck. very different. It's very different vibe. <laughs> You don't get so inquisitive. Yeah, Regular Chuck doesn't remember asked. that I have children. <laughs> oh, He's like, shut it. <laughs> show Chuck is like all dadly. No. Um, so, okay. This is really weird. But uh, one of the kids, uh, the little one, Cooper, she's two. Mm -hmm. And she started throwing up. And it's like, wait, like how? I mean, that's been the wildest thing about when you have two kids, like, or any kids, I guess. They're just sick constantly. It's like. Every month they're just sick, 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 sick. But they haven't been getting sick. Cause like, there's no germs, right? To, for to get them, right? So they haven't been getting sick. So like, how'd she get sick? And we start looking around. Get a tick on her. And no then, way. So we think, yeah. So we think she got some sort of weird, like, tick-borne illness, like Rocky Mountain spotted fever or something wild like that. Wow. Now that claimed, uh, like a half of my brother's peripheral vision. Griffin really? had that when he was a kid and he lost some sight in his eye. So we were pretty worried about it. So we started treating her right away and we got to uh, indulge. This kid hates taking medicine so much that I have started to wonder, like, maybe she should just go a little bit blind. You know what I mean? Like, maybe just a little bit of vision loss and then we would be like, okay, well, I guess nature, nature takes its course. No, it's a serious Serious illness, and of course, I won't, but it's a, it's a struggle. Man. Other than that, you know, there's fine. They're going, like, pretty buck wild, I would say. Like, just staying at home constantly, yeah. constantly asking us if we can, if they can go, like, to the playground or to Great Wolf Lodge or Disney World or any right. of that. It's all like, the bad places. All the bad places you can't go. Uh, so, they're pretty stir crazy. But other than that, you know... I'll hang it in there. What's your, How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, we're fine. We're healthy. No one's gotten COVID yet, although quite a few people in my circle have, and that's always Ugh. a little scary. Um, but yeah, we're fine. I mean, I think like everyone, we sort of settled into things, uh, yeah. and this is the new normal for now. We're trying to figure out school, like all parents are. What are you guys yeah. doing? Do you know? No, I haven't really decided yet. We're still waiting to see kind of what the plan right. for the local school board is going to be to see what they – because Charlie was in pre-K last year and would be going into kindergarten now. Yeah, same with uh, Ruby. So we're just now in that area where, like, if you don't send your kids to school, the government's like, you do have to send them to school. <laughs> you actually do have to do that. So we're got to figure out something. So Oh, even for kindergarten? Is that like a mm – -hmm. that counts as – It's like counts as like attendance and, you know – 
Yeah. Whatever. I think what we're looking at right now is a uh, potentially doing a little micro school with her and th- four other families, maybe. Uh, like a school for ants? <laughs> yeah, a tiny it's from little a school. Movie, <laughs> movie called Zoolander, as long as we're talking about films. So bright in here, Chuck. Hold on. Oh, there he goes. He's bringing in the mood lighting. Very nice. Yeah, it's intimate. Oh, wow. Justin after dark. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I was just thinking today of when you and uh, and Sydney and Charlie came to town. This is before Cooper, and we all went to the zoo. And on the way into Great the zoo, zoo down there. It's a good Great. zoo. Uh, but I made the joke. I was like, you know, if we recorded this zoo outing, we could probably release it as a podcast and make $10,000. <laughs> Easy. Casper would sponsor that. No sure. problem. Just like a one a one off McElroy yeah. and Bryant zoo outing. <laughs> it's a hot ticket. Well, now we'll get our ten thousand dollars. <laughs> Cause advertisers are like so excited to spend money right now. They're just going wild with the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> just, just spreading it out. Like making it rain like Master P in the club. Just like dumping out buckets of cash. <laughs> Uh, how are things with the brothers? I haven't I haven't checked in with those guys lately. You know, I had, had Griffin I mean, on the show. Uh, they're long good. Time ago. Like um, we have seen uh, Travis and Teresa. We saw once mm-hmm. uh, after we had all like. I mean, we've all been you know quarantining and we we're all healthy, so we 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 did do that at That's one good. point. Uh, Griff, I have not seen since you know. It, 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 they're doing fine. Griffin keeps like taking on projects around his house. He got really, he lives in Austin. He got really mad about the bamboo uh-huh. around his house. So apparently he bought a chainsaw and just started cutting <laughs> down bamboo and throwing it into a wood chipper. Like that's how he's spending his time. Yeah. It sucks, man. Like we were, we were, uh, you know, we had a pretty good rhythm there cause we were touring like once a month Yeah. Uh, for a weekend and our kids were hanging out. We were getting to hang out, totally. and, you know, it's just sort of, and it's by by no means the the worst, not even the top one million of worst things about COVID. But like, oh sure, I it's, know it's been a bummer for like for not getting to see each other. I mean, business things aside, because that was like a pretty when it first happened, we were like we had shows booked basically for the rest of the year. We had yeah. our whole tour lined up. And uh, when it first happened, we were all like, well, hate to do it, but I think we're going to have to cancel these shows in late March. Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> Maybe I'm a little worried about the ones in early April. Late April will be fine, right. but like early April, I'm pretty worried about. Yeah. Now it's like, well, <laughs> see everybody in 2021. Yeah, maybe. Hopefully. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, mean, I don't know. That'll be the so last thing, you know, is big events like that. Yeah. Unless it's a fucking Trump rally. And we are in no, no rush to be the vanguard of that. No. As much as we miss each other and our fans, like we are in no rush to be the first on the, on the scene there. No. I mean, who who would want to have uh, the responsibility of bringing, you know, a couple of thousand people together in a room and having 2% of those people get sick? Well, with our listeners, they nasty. So it's going to be 20 to 30 to 40 percent. I mean, it will be a bloodbath. Uh, Speaking of at home projects, I want to talk a little bit about your woodworking. Oh, thank God. Finally, something I really care about. Dude, when did you learn to do this stuff? Have you always had these skills or tell everyone what you've been doing? I've had a um, 
woodworking has been my lifelong obsession since late May. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I got as Sydney said uh, she wanted a she wanted to get into gardening. She wanted a garden box, because, mm-hmm. like an elevated garden box, because our our dirt here is um, bad. Yeah, it's bad dirt. Didn't know till I became a homeowner <laughs> you could have bad dirt and good dirt. Yeah, we have bad dirt that doesn't do anything. So she was like, I want a garden box. I was like, well, I'll buy an Amazon, get you a garden box real quick. And I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, and it's like, there's nothing There's nothing that was how we wanted. And she said, she said, let the record show, she said, I bet you could maybe build one? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, right. It's made out of wood. There's no, absolutely no way. And then I went and got, I started looking up stuff, and I was like, okay, I could do this. I could get like, I got a circular saw. Uh-huh. And I got some plywood or some some uh, uh, boards and and went to go make this garden box. And I made this garden box. It's like eight foot by eight foot. Mm-hmm. And it looks like crap and uh, it's terrible. And I was as I was looking at, it, I was like, "This is all I care about. This is all I want to do." There's just <laughs> something about. I have been someone who has been working in like in words in ephemeral content for. I mean, since I was. 15 years old uh-huh. been writing on the internet so either writing on the internet or talking into the internet um all very ephemeral stuff uh and then seeing something that i had made like physically made yeah uh just like, especially in these these times when like progress on things seems to be so hard to come by um it just like i like i was like basically high off of it like the idea of like making something and seeing it uh and so i just got really a uh, obsessed uh there's a guy steve ramsey does a a course called uh a course called the weekend woodworker Mm -hmm. and it's basically like a project a week kind of deal so i've been chucking my way through those in addition to like other projects that i've been want that i wanted like we wanted a table for this banquette that we have uh dude the table looks so good thank you i was like very intimidated to make it it's an interesting thing about woodworking though is like I made that in the same week as I made a paper tray for my father-in-law. Um, and the paper tray was so much harder. Yeah. <laughs> and no one appreciates that. They look at a big thing and they're like, whoa, that's big. That must have been really hard. Yeah. That's not hard. Big there's lots of places easier. to there's lots of places to hide your screw ups there. Like I, I can I can mess up there all day and just put a little uh fix on it. It's harder to do the um the uh the smaller stuff. It's also fun as I've been using these for like gifts for people because like i don't want to keep all this wood stuff around my house that i make right uh so i like have given fire hazard yeah right (laughs) there's no what i've learned is that there's no when you make something yourself like that there is no reaction that you can get from the recipient that will begin to fill the labor gap right (laughs) of like time you know what i mean like yeah I handed it to my father-in-law who was not expecting it. And to his credit, he was like, oh, thanks. That's that's really nice of you to do. And I'm like, <laughs> sit down. Let me show you this hand stippling. Yeah. This took me three hours. Uh-huh. I gave myself carpal tunnel syndrome. I have to sleep in a brace. <laughs> like, sit, like, let me walk you through all the different miter cuts I made. Look at this one. Yeah. Look how clean these angles are. A 320 grit sandpaper? I did. Thank you for Dude, noticing. Dude, we are the same person. I, I got into woodworking probably like 10 years ago with just uh sort of big I'm, I'm decent at big chunky things because like you said it's a lot easier so i built some tables i built like potters and planters benches and just little things here and there N- never any kind of fine woodworking at all but uh 
I, I cannot just say here, Emily, I'm done. There has to be a big fucking presentation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I have literally Chuck went, went and like hidden stuff when I know she's going to be downstairs where my workshop is. Uh-huh. I'll like go hide stuff in the workshop so she doesn't see it before yeah. it's like ready. <laughs> and then she is always like, "What do you want me to do?" Like I built a yellow yellow patio table that looks like I kind of bought it at Walmart for thirty bucks. Right. And I built him like, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. "What do you think? Yeah. It's yellow." We're the HGTV generation. <laughs> it's all about yeah. the reveal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh man, that's great. Maybe I'll uh with your permission, I'll I'll throw a couple of your pieces up on my Instagram. Please. When yeah. this goes out so people know what the hell we're talking about. Um yeah. how are all the shows doing? And for the benefit of the listener that I mean, like the two or three people that don't know who you are, uh so you're flattering. You're, Thank you're, you. you're one of the three McElroy brothers, mm-hmm. along with Griffin That who, we know of. Oh, that's true. Along with Griffin who did uh, Groundhog Day. Very early on, Travis has not been on yet, um, and I was waiting to see all you guys in person. But now it's just this is what's going on, so I figured why not? Yeah. Uh, and you guys have uh, my brother, my brother, and me. You have Adventure Zone. Uh, you and your wife Sydney, who is a medical doctor, have Sawbones. Mm-hmm. Uh, just tell everyone a little bit about all those so they can go that's, find you. That's basic. I mean, those are the the three biggest ones that we make. The uh, my brother, my brother, me is an advice show sort of a bad advice show that we've been doing for 10 years now. It's sort of like our, I guess if you want to say flagship product. Yeah, for sure. It's basically just the three of us sitting around telling uh, boner jokes about ghosts. Yeah, Um, it's the best. (laughs) Thank you. The Adventure Zone is a actual play, role-playing podcast we do with our dad. Uh Who was great. Uh, Thank you. Um, I don't know why I thanked you. Uh, I have nothing to do with my dad being great. Uh, and, well, actually, I mean, we've, we've shaved a lot of rough edges off. Sure. Uh, you, you, not to get too deep in the woodworking slang. But, you prop them up a little. Um, the, the the Adventure Zone we turned into a – so my brother, my brother, me, we did a six-episode – I'm going to call it a mini-series uh-huh. on the now-failed uh, comedy uh, streaming service, CISO, that NBC tried to get going. Uh, the Adventure Zone we turned into um, a graphic novel – uh, series that releases like one. We the newest one of those is coming. Is the third one is coming out in here in uh, like July thirteenth, I think. Um, and uh, a board game uh, and stuff like that. And then Sawbones is a medical history show that I do with my wife, who's a physician, and she's uh, one very smart and two like is really into medical history stuff, like weird medical history leeches and yeah, it's really stuff cool like that. So every week we take a new, um, very much inspired as so many of us are, I think, by the stuff you should know format. Um, Thanks, man. Uh, take it, take a topic and and do a deep dive on it with one of uh, with her sort of educating me on it. Um, and we did a book based on that show in October, I think, twenty eighteen. That's right. That looked um, terrific. Yeah, thank you. It was I was proud of how it came out. Um, and. Well, Sydney's got a show too, And then we do some too, other right? smaller stuff. I do, a, I do The Empty Bowl, which is a, a meditative serial podcast with my friend Dan Gubert, who runs a serial website called Serialistly.net. Uh, I do us and the guys who run The Worst Idea of All Time uh, do an annual Paul Blart Mall Cop <laughs> 2 right. reviewed cast. I need to hear called that. Till, Till Death Do Us Blart. <laughs> is it great? It, it's, it's so fun to do. It's actually weird to have something that re- releases annually. Because it's just like we have to keep uh, – the premise of the show is, in addition to this recording of it, we have each picked successors who, in the event of one of our deaths, uh-huh. will take our place in the show. Okay. So it is the world's very first eternal uh-huh. 
<laughs> podcast. Um, who's so your successor? Set that up. Um, who's my? Oh, it's my daughter. Okay, Charlie. All right. So well, she has time. Um, uh, Travis is Stuart Wellington from the Flophouse, who yeah. frequently uh, sends Travis like emergency and different immuno boosting <laughs> uh, drugs just to keep him alive. Um, That's funny. And I think that we used to do one called the McElroy Brothers Will Be in Trolls World Tour. And then you were. Is, and then we were, so we don't have to do that podcast anymore because we were in the movie Trolls World Tour, so that's that over. That is so funny. I mean, and that, um, that literally came about because you guys did that show, right? Yeah. And it, we, it was it was very much a uh, uh, visualization, you know, the secret law of attraction, ask the universe and let the universe provide. Uh-huh. Um is there going to be Which a follow-up? Is, What's your next thing you want to try and materialize? Um, we haven't ha- had the, we haven't put the time into it. We tried to get on the Tonight Show. That'd probably be a lot easier now, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> tried to get right. on the Tonight Show for a while. It never really worked out. Um, and I don't know. We, we're we're busy with actual like stuff. Weirdly, at this point, um, we don't have as many like pie in the sky. And it's mainly about like we can make our own podcast. We can't get into TV and movies, but nobody's making those anymore. So right. we're trying. You know, it's 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 tough. But um, but we have the last laugh because we we can just be in our basement and do our thing. Yes. <laughs> so suck as it. I have been for the better part of, a, of fifteen years. Well, I'm finally in the basement. Um, you know, Josh and I have been recording remotely during this whole time. I go. Uh, I do movie crush down here, but I actually have been going into the office, my completely empty office to do stuff you should know, just because we had, well, I've had a couple of audio issues here in the basement and for movie crush, it's passable, but you know, stuff you should know, you gotta, you gotta keep that shit. Is it like soundproofing kind of issues or just like? No, uh, we lost one episode because of the unit that I was recording into had a hardware oh. failure. And then the last couple of shows have had some like crackling and I think I had like a bad mic cable, but I don't know that because I'm not listening to it live. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But stuff you should know, you can't fuck around like that. You got to make that shit no, sound that's perfect. Prof- that's professional. That's right. Uh, well, I'm glad everything is cruising along with you guys. I figured everyone was uh, was doing well, but. Uh, yeah, we're hanging in there. It's good to see you, man. Good to see you too, Chuck. Well, this has been great. All right. And let me know if you ever want me to be on your podcast, <laughs> Movie Crush. <laughs> I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots. 
the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Uh, so let's dive into with nail. Well, actually, before we dive into that, I want to talk a little bit about movies in your youth. I talked to Griffin about sort of what it was like growing up in the McElroy household movie wise. And he th- that was so long ago, though, I think people would love to hear a little bit about just sort of the culture that was coming your way and where it was coming from and that kind of thing. I mean, it was very much dictated by our dad, I think. Our dad was, like, an old school, like, uh, one of those real, like, comedy fans, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Like, he was a morning DJ for 40 years who who did a lot of, like, all comedy work there. But, like, dad was the one who got us deep into, like, um, Kids in the Hall and Mel Brooks oh, wow. and MST3K and stuff like that. So there was a lot of... Like old com like Marx Brothers and you know that that sort of vibe. Um, as much as we would tolerate in our young age, you know, we, yeah. we didn't appreciate things that didn't have a lot of fart jokes in them back then. Um, well, Mel Brooks. But then, like, yeah, right, right, exactly. And then, like, I don't know, we would get fixated on move like bad movies sometimes uh-huh. that we would just rewatch. Not bad, but just like. There's this movie, Meet the Deedles, about two brothers that were park rangers. I know One that of movie. Them was like, yeah. Uh, we would watch that a hundred times. Watch The Stupids, starring Tom Arnold, like, a bajillion times. <laughs> um, and I don't know why. There would just be certain movies that, like, delighted us and we would watch. I know Griffin and Travis watched Kung Pao Enter the Fist, like, I mean, literally a hundred times yeah. in our in our youth. <laughs> um and I think that, that like, rewatching stuff was a big thing. We weren't allowed to see R-rated movies until we were adults. Okay. So, like, there was very little sort of, like, horror or – I mean, one time I was at a kid's sleepover and they were watching – I'll never forget Sleepaway Camp 3, I want to say, 2 or 3. And I actually called my mom to come pick me up because I was so scared. Oh, that is adorable. Both of, like, both of like the movie, but just, like, it felt just, like – it felt like watching my friends play with a loaded gun. I was like, guys, we are not, we are not supposed to be doing this. This is terrifying. I was the same way, um, man. I was, I've told the story before, but uh, my first R rated movie was escape from New York. And there was a little church youth group get together and that movie was coming on. And I went out of the room and I called my mom and asked if I could watch it. And she said, because you called, you can watch it. And I really appreciate that. And, you know, she didn't know she had the best son in the world at the time. I went, the first one I saw in the theater, first R.A. movie I saw in the theater was Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Oh, yeah. Um, 
but I told my mom that I was going to see a showing of the American president, <laughs> which should have been a big fucking tip off. Yeah. Mom. I mean, come on. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I was absolutely not. And I did. So I went, I w- actually did buy the ticket for the, <laughs> I bought a ticket for both. Really? So you could have the ticket. I, bought a ticket for, I would have the American president ticket stub. Don't know what sort of like Columbo bullshit. Uh-huh. I thought my mom was about to pull on me, but like I did have the ticket stub for American president did like, uh, read a synopsis uh-huh. of the movie. Did you walk in <laughs> the door being like, boy, that Annette Benning, such an actor. Ooh, they, it was a really, I, you know what I um I asked someone who had seen the movie. I think it was okay. My friends, I think I went to see it with my friend Tommy Red, and I think his mom had actually seen the American President. And I asked her like, "What should I say?" Uh-huh. And she said, "Um, the, the tell her that you really liked Aaron Sorkin's dialogue." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, that, I think I probably did tell my mom that." Which like she, I bet, I bet she immediately was like, "So how did Eddie Furlong do in the movie Terminator 2 Judgment Day?" That I know that you definitely went and saw because I know exactly yeah. your whole thing. And that just happened to be playing at the same theater, and your mom was like, mm-hmm. "Come on, give me a break. Come on, kid." Um, Griffin's movie, you know, was uh, of course Groundhog Day. Yeah. Uh, was that a big Love one for one. you too? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I. That's one of those that still hold. I mean, you can watch that now. Still, like, brilliant, fantastic. It's a shame they don't make comedies for adults anymore. Because I know, right? See another one of those. But uh, I think Gr- yeah, I think I, Griffin's quote on that one was, um, "It it is not only my favorite movie, but it's the best movie." <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair, sure, Griff. That's fine. I'll let you guys tackle that. At your next Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, all right. So Obvia Skype. <laughs> yeah. Jesus, man. How depressing. Yeah. Yeah. Our ne- anyway. And you're still in uh, West Virginia too, right? You didn't Indeed, move, right? Yeah. I love that you yeah. stayed there, man. That's that's great. I like it here. I know where all the restaurants are. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, everyone sort of moved away a little bit. But aside from Travis's brief stint in L.A., no one sought sort of, you know, the bright lights of the big city. Yeah, Trav did LA for a while. It wasn't really his his thing. Yeah. I think I think uh when the podcast first started to catch on, I think we all had delusions that it was going to catapult us to, you know, superstardom, uh, which obviously has not has not materialized, at least not in the the world of cinema or television. But um yeah, I, I think that it agree it it's better i think it has made us more relatable like yeah. uh, certainly you know to to li- to not i think i love the like la podcast scene i think there's a lot of great shows that come out of it but um it's very sort of um i think it can feel so, sort of her- hermetic yeah if, if that is the right word you know what i mean it's like sort of uh insular mm. and very much seems of a of a like universe there yeah um, i agree and i feel like having a little bit more uh diverse backgrounds and locations and stuff like that is help helpful for three of us i think so i mean this is the same with us man we stayed in atlanta and uh, never even considered going anywhere else and then the industry sort i mean you guys have been around for a long time too but uh, we're a couple of years ahead of you guys but the industry grew up so much around us you know who who needs i mean we did our brief failed stint in tv too but 
It's kind of like who who needs that stuff? This is, we, yeah. we got the best did, life. Did you have to leave to shoot that, or did they shoot that in Atlanta? We shot it in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, actual film production resources there. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, it it was good. Um, but and and the thing I missed when it didn't get renewed was uh, just it was just so much fun. I didn't really yeah care about being on TV, but I I love being on because I was a I worked on film crews for years and years before that as like a PA and art department and like I just like being on a film set. It's fun. I, the, uh, you know what I, this is going to sound so dumb, but the, the thing that I actually like, besides like hanging out with my brothers and stuff, the thing that I really liked about, um, making a TV show was having coworkers. I had forgotten how much I enjoyed that. And like, I grew up in newsrooms, um, not grew up. I wasn't, I didn't have like a little (laughs) bunk bed, Uh but like I got my start doing like newsroom journalism and uh i realized but then i i left it to do freelance video game stuff in oh uh, seven i think so since then i had not had like people that i see every day at the office or whatever yeah. and it was, it was really nice having like a big group of people that i like totally saw and and hung out with um so that was cool but i'm back to isolation now yeah as are we all welcome to my hell yeah um and yeah, I, was, I think also just realizing that where we are both in podcasting is, is great. And like, it's, it's a, yeah. it's a great life and it is, uh, I don't think I would want to be famous, famous. I've seen enough of it. Uh, I've, I've, I've been around people who are famous to enough to know that like, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I mean, it obviously has its huge, huge upsides, but for who I am as a person, I do not think it would, it would agree to, it with me. It's funny when you're, when you're trying to break into stuff, it seems like, and you're just trying to get somebody, anybody to like notice you. I went, I sent so many letters uh, and applications to different video game websites. Uh-huh. Like, just please hire me, please give me a chance. Uh, when you start getting noticed, it seems to you like more and more and more of that you definitely want. And then you realize that there's like a tipping point where it's like, I actually don't want more of this. Yeah. I have, I have enough of this. Uh, this is good. I don't want this to be more. And I've seen people who have more and I, I, it, I think it would kind of freak me out a little bit. Yeah. Personally. I'm with you, man. It's, it's nice. Uh, once a month for someone to, walk up to you in a grocery store and tell you they love what you do. And, uh, that's great. That's a, that's all I need. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Is validation. That doesn't happen from in Cause nobody listens to podcasts. I'm basically anonymous here. That's fantastic. Oh, there's people there that are fans of yours. I'm sure. No. Right. Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, for sure. Like we have a college here. It's a college town. So there's uh, from time to time. Yeah. There'll be people who, who, but I'm not like heralded as sort of the local hero that I would like to be. That's my deal a little bit is I finally got called by the University of Georgia, my alma mater, to do, to like come back and speak to students like uh, six or eight months ago. And she was like, well, what do you say to this? And I said, where have you been? Yes. <laughs> it's like, I've been waiting. I've, I just want to go back to my school and be kind of a big deal. That's it. I've been <laughs> offering to like my high school journalism teacher, like, you know, podcasting is sort of a big deal if you want me to come. Right. Yeah. It's very embarrassing. All right. Well, let's dive into With Nail and I, the uh, 1987 film uh, written and directed by Bruce Robinson. Uh, mm-hmm. I know you actually uh, put forth Wayne's World as your favorite movie, and you were kind enough. I've just, 
I've done enough of those kind of silly comedies to where there it's not the best conversation for this show. Uh, would have I would have done it, and of course we would have had a good conversation no matter what. But they're not the best for this. Yeah, medium. Well, you know what's so funny about this, Chuck, that that I did not realize until I mean, literally moments before we started recording. I know about this movie because of Wayne's World. Oh, from from Danny. Yes, Wayne's World <laughs> Two. Yeah, features a character. It's very strange. It's like one of. It's like a very weird cinema thing that, like, I don't know of a lot of examples of this, uh-huh. but. In Wayne's World 2, there, which I feel like people are probably more aware of, which I watched almost as much as I watched Wayne's World 1, I mean, a bajillion times. There's this uh, character who's a roadie uh-huh. named Dell, and he's very, um, <laughs> you know, he's obviously, like, kind of drugged out and uh, very weirdly serene, and but also a little bit scary mm-hmm. and intimidating. And, like, he's a great, it seems like this great, amazing, like, one-off character. Uh, and then I was reading something about Wayne's World. And it's like this is a character called Danny who is a drug dealer in a movie called With Dale and I. And it's not like it's similar. It is the same character the same guy. <laughs> named something different uh-huh. in a completely unrelated cinematic universe. It is so strange. But, yes, the Danny – and this was also filmed, you know, a good fifth. 15-ish, 10, 15 years before Wayne's World. Yeah. So, like, it's just the same guy again in in the movie, uh, which I'm sure, like, Mike Myers uh, saw that movie and was like, hey, can you just, or somebody saw that movie and was like, hey, can you just do this again? (laughs) If you could just do that character again. They should have named him Danny. Um, It'd be so good. The other little Easter egg that I'm sure you probably know about is Alien 3. Did you know about this? I don't think so. All right. So Alien 3 uh, was uh, Fincher's run at Alien, and he wanted a reunion of this cast, and he couldn't get Richard E. Grant, but Paul McGann and Richard Griffiths, I'm sorry, and Ralph Brown, who played Danny, are both in Alien 3, and Richard E. Grant turned it down, and he was. it was also another homage because this movie is one of those that, uh, I mean, they call it a cult film, but it's. it's, I think, more than that. It's sort of this cultural touchstone to so many uh, English people for sure, but even Americans and other filmmakers and writers. It's a, it's okay. So things I like without getting getting more into trivia, because it's like, whatever things I like about with Neil and I are my wife and I watched it as a result of this and talk about like a movie that you can like vibe on Uh to you. Like it, it has such a distinct, uh, vibe, this movie that is, it feels weird. It feels out of time, sort of. It's a movie filmed in the mid eighties that's set in at the very end of the sixties. Um, but it doesn't even feel like the late sixties that much. No, it's very, well, it's very low budget. So there's not like a lot of like yeah. set decoration and stuff like that, um, that, that, that they've done to make it feel, you know, of a period. Um, it, it it is very subdued. There's not a lot going on in it. Yeah. Um, if from a like from a from a story perspective, like there's not much plot. It's about two f- unemployed actors that go on holiday by mistake. I mean, that is l- literally the entire bit. Um, 
And there's not much story to be told. It's just very much about the vibe that that of their of the world that they're in. It's bizarre. Yeah, and what hit me um, watching this last night was, and first of all, I saw this in college when I worked at the cool video store that had all the cool indie movies. Um, I then I've seen it twice since before last night. Um, each time with one of my good friends from England. Um, one of my oldest friends uh, from college, still one of my best friends, Justin, we watched it together. And then when I lived in L.A., I had a very good friend named Guy uh, Forgard, and it was one of his favorite movies. And we watched it together. Um, but watching it last night, it really hit me of what uh, what a corny, hokey movie this could have been. Like, yes. like two unemployed actors go on a, a, a mistaken vacation to the English countryside and zaniness ensues which is exactly what happens, but there's right. nothing about this that's hokey or corny. It's so real. Well, it's very grounded. It's like if you look at these guys – so these, these guys start off in absolutely deplorable yeah. circumstances. There's so with Nail, who is like very overly dramatic and cruel and cowardly yeah. and crappy. Uh, and then there's I, he doesn't get named, who's Paul McGann, yeah. who was the eighth doctor – uh, and, um, the, just them living in deplorable circumstances, they're drugged out of their minds. They are living in like, it, it feels claustrophobic. It's so fully realized that like, you feel like I want you guys to get out too. This seems miserable. Yeah. Um, but when they go to their, to this, their, one of their friends, uh, uh, with nail has an uncle Monty who has a, a house in the countryside. So the two of them go there and like from the moment they get there it's so ground it's like the whole movie's like this but like like for example when they show up at the cottage they don't have um fire they didn't yeah. bring <laughs> anything to start a fire with or food, they have really. no they have no food <laughs> yeah. they don't have boots so they are, have wrapped their feet in plastic to protect from the weather and it's like that is not something that a comedy like this would normally concern itself with, but those small, even the small details like that, their desperation and ineptitude, like each thing becomes, feels momentous. They, at one point, uh, are at a bar and they see a poacher come in <laughs> who has, um, takes in, has a eel that he takes out <laughs> in his pants that he whacks the head of the eel on the bar till it dies and he puts the eel down in his pants and then they come over and there's a scene of them like trying to talk him out of giving them the eel that he has stuck yeah. down his pants and like every scene is like that of like these very small ban banal circumstances being elevated just by their like absolute ineptitude at navigating uh life um I think like a lot of great comedies, it is also undercut with a real sadness. Yeah, um, big time. That it it is very much about the end of this era. Yeah. It is very much about the end of the 60s and like the reckoning that would come. It is very much about the hang of the, I think they even talk about like, how the seventies are going to be a massive hangover yeah. from the sixties. And that is very much what you, you see buildings like as they're driving out to the countryside, there's a couple of shots of buildings being like demolished. Yeah, totally. Um, it's all very gray and washed out. And like, 
it feels that way. It feels like um, uh, they're eulogizing the the '60s in a sense. Like, and these guys are uh, kind of got caught at the end of the party, and they're they're uh, a couple of the last guys still there. Yeah. And there's a real like sadness about the whole thing that I think uh, actually makes it work better than it would without it. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, seeing this movie in my 20s and 30s, which was I think the last time I saw this was when I was in L.A., probably 15, 16 years ago. Uh, and then seeing it here at, at 49, I had the this wave wash over me where I was like, oh, my God. Withnail is a desperate alcoholic. Yeah. And, and that is the sadness, I think, seeing it through older eyes. Um, it's it's very funny. And the alcohol is played as a as a gag so much through the movie but when you see it as a as a grown adult like this you can't help but think oh my god this guy's going to die young of 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 liver disease yeah you know um yes which is hard to separate from how funny them talking about yeah. meeting <laughs> one of his best lines is uh the the movie is like infinitely quotable oh, yeah. if you've seen it. I've got a bunch my of wife them. and I have been have been doing it for years. But at one point with Nail is standing, he has covered his body in what appears to be icy hot uh-huh. to keep him warm because they have no heat. Yeah, I know. And he's line. covered his entire body in icy hot. It's a f- fantastic gag because he has slathered every inch of himself in icy hot. Uh-huh. And then he says to I, he says, there wasn't much in the tube. There's none left for you. Yeah. <laughs> there is it to him, which obviously he had like, he had bathed himself with it already, but he's standing there and he's shouting about how badly he needs a drink. And he just screams, I demand to have some booze. Yeah. And it's my wife and I have been doing that to each other. Like when, when life demands it, like just out of nowhere, <laughs> Sydney, I demand to have some booze. Well, and there's the other great line in the end about the, the finest wines. <laughs> We, we, I'll have the finest yeah. wines known to humanity. <laughs> I demand it. Uh, we want them here and we want them now. That all, he, God, I mean, we'll definitely go through some of these lines. Uh, one of them is when early on in the film is when they're, you know, they're these two out of work actors. And one of the things they do is go down to the labor exchange when they're not working. And I guess that's their filing for unemployment or whatever between jobs. And he says, he says that everyone's doing it. And, and Withnail goes, I haven't seen Gilgood down at the labor exchange. And then he takes this brief beat and very desperately he says, why doesn't he retire? <laughs> 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 I mean, Richard E. Grant is so great in this. It's his first movie. And it's yeah. just like, I mean, to, to, to make, to, for this to be your first role is just uh, like revelatory. You know, it's just, such yeah, a it's, it's performance. so iconic. Um, it's so yeah, it's so iconic. Um, the uh, I was trying to think of the other you were talking about. Um, it's like Greenland in here. <laughs> it's like, it, it, uh, where did you get soup? I I don't want any soup. Oh, he's, he's eating any soup. coffee with a spoon. <laughs> um, so uh, we mentioned Uncle Mondi, and I did want to talk about that a little yeah. bit because it is an interesting. I mean, talk about things you don't realize. Um, as like tastes and awareness of things continues to evolve, we see there's a big plot point that and and basically um the the what you come to learn is that Uncle Monty is gay mm-hmm. and it is very heavily implied 
that Withnail has promised that if he lets them use his cabin, mm-hmm. that uh, uh, I, uh, who's apparently, as Googling, I found out his name is Peter. I'm going to refer to him as Peter because that's much easier. Well, Marwood Pe- is another, I think in the script he's Marwood. Marwood, yeah, Peter Marwood. Um, and it, Peter uh, is also secretly gay and would, you know, have a romp with him. Right. Um, and there is a uh, – and and basically this time period, it, much more closeted, much more taboo. Sure. Um, and Uncle Monty comes – who's Richard Griffiths, who you'll know is uh, Mr. Dursley, Harry Potter's adopted dad. Yeah, he's great in this. Uh, you know, the uncle. Um, the, and he's fantastic. And there's a scene where Uncle Monty uh, – well, he, he has come to the cottage and he is helping them to – uh, get a little bit more settled. He's been very kindly, but also kind of obviously has designs on Peter. Uh, and there's a scene where against Peter's wishes, um, Uncle Monty like comes upstairs and basically like attempts to force himself on to Peter. And it is like a very, it's a very troubling scene. It's a very disturbing scene. Yeah. Um, it's played like a horror movie almost. It is. It is. But it, and obviously I'm a straight guy. I, I, my read on this may be completely wrong. This is just as I've watched it repeatedly and through different lenses as I've gotten older, my most recent take on it is like in a lesser movie, it would be a comedy. In a lesser movie, it would be, I mean, in a lesser movie from like now, I mean, you know, like yeah. this time period, the idea of a, um, closeted uh, gay dude attempting to, you know, uh, have his way with a straight guy. It's like the scene from Wedding guy. Crashers. Yeah. The, the Vince Vaughn scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, that's a really good comparison, right? Uh, but this movie, I think both through like direction and writing, but also through Richard Griffith's performance is absolutely like, astonishingly good in this movie. He is out of control good. Um, He imbues it with a sadness Mm -hmm. and a desperation of somebody who basically lived a lie his entire life and is just now sort of, you know, realizing that that's not going to be his life. Mm -hmm. Um, And Monty is not given a chance to, we're, we're not seeing him forgiven in terms of the movie, we don't see him. He doesn't like make it up to anybody, but the movie doesn't also try to excuse his behavior. He just disappears from the movie at this point. Yeah. Um, but it's really like, it feels more like a commentary and maybe this is overly generous again, but it feels more like a commentary on what society did to gay people at that point by making them hide their existence. I think it totally Um, was. Um, I mean, this was set in 1969, and the character of Monty is in his 60s, easy. So this is a gay man in England who grew up from the turn of the century where it was literally illegal and you could be chemically castrated. Uh, And that letter that he leaves the next day when he's out of there is just so sad and tragic, you know? Yeah, it's very, it's very sad. Um, uh, uh, fun trivia for you, Richard Griffiths, and more credit to his performance. He was 40 years old <laughs> when this movie was filmed. Shut up, really? Yeah, yeah, he was 40. Went oh, on wow. to, yeah, 
while. I mean, a while. Yeah, I mean, nine years. But you're absolutely. Read. That's the read, though. He does. He is not meant to read as a forty-year-old dude. He's absolutely. I don't think so. Older. And here's um, another uh, bit of trivia. I don't know if you knew, but um, the the writer and director Bruce Robinson uh, based that character on uh, Zeffirelli because he, as a young, very handsome uh, actor, was in Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet, and apparently was. Uh, very much hit on and come on to by Zeffirelli. Uh, he thought inappropriately uh, as a much older man and even took some of the lines directly from Zeffirelli. Like, are you a sponge or a stone? <laughs> Apparently <laughs> was something Zeffirelli actually said to him. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's tough. I mean, I don't know how a smarter person or a gay person would, would, feel about watching that scene that is just sort of my read on it um yeah i'm with you it's a very it's it's but but i mean i think it definitely feels progressive in terms of the the mid to late 80s yeah you know he is not sort of like othered or made to be a monster because of his sexual orientation it is because you know of his, the the <laughs> attempted assault of of Peter, but um, yeah, and that's sort of a through line through the movie. You know, there's a couple of times where uh, there's the one time in the bar earlier on in the pub when the guy calls him a ponce, uh, calls Marwood a ponce, and he's just mm -hmm. terrified of getting beat up. And I think, I think he and Withnail are, are, it seems like they're constantly being mistaken for a gay couple. Yeah. Uh, and actually, you know, seeing it again and having not seen it in a while, I couldn't really remember. I kind of thought they were a gay couple, and then uh, it sort of jogged my memory as the movie went along that they weren't. But they do s sort of read that way, I think, to the locals in Camden Town. It's a very interesting relationship the two of them have, and it's really the cornerstone of the whole movie because they're basically a unit. It's a love um, story, you know? It it really is, and it's and it's interesting because Peter obviously very much cares about Withnail. Um and cares about his constantly like frets about his well-being, his safety, uh, attempts to like look out for him in a lot of different ways. And I think the, the there is an implication that um, Peter has a job offer um, that he has is maybe feeling guilty about yeah. because with nail does not also have work. Right. Um, and it's interesting because Peter very much cares about with nail. Withnail does not seem to have the capacity to care about Peter in the same way. Or anyone. Um, or even, uh, yeah, uh, anyone other than himself. Yeah. Um, very self-obsessed. And uh, I think what you do see, what he lets show through is sort of a a, a dependence on Peter um, uh -huh. that, that he needs and is very much lost without. Um, how deep do you get, like, plot-wise on this show in terms of, like— trying to avoid talking about like the ending of of movies and stuff oh no like no that. it's all it's all fair game um it's interesting in the in the very we we're talking about the elegy for the or a eulogy for the 60s um the, it, the very last scenes of the movie peter gets this job offer and cuts his hair yeah uh to a sh which is a very doesn't seem like a big thing but it's a, a very big deal yeah very symbolic yeah very symbolic he's leaving with nail behind who i think is sort of the if you if you want to get overthink it is like very symbolic of the self indulgence of the sixties yeah. and uh, Peter is sort of like moving on from that and and letting himself be sort of absorbed into the 
working world or the more traditional world. Yeah, uh, while with Nail is yeah, the, and and with Nail is kind of left by himself and has yeah. this very sad, uh, very sad final scene where he's sort of like mourning the loss of of Peter. Um, but like that sadness doesn't come out of nowhere. It's like present from the beginning yeah. of. The beginning of this movie, okay, interesting trivia. The beginning of this movie was uh, funded by George Harrison. Yeah. So they have killer music in this movie. The soundtrack of this movie is excellent. Yeah. The, and the very opening scene is this instrumental version of Whiter Shade of Pale. So great. It is in front of a live audience. It's like such a strange vibe. It is. But so clearly like says, this is what the movie is. Like this is going to be this kind of movie. Yeah. Um. Uh. So that, I, but that sadness is, is more present than the comedy. Like from, like it is, is both the beginning and ending of this is, it is a sad story. Um, but I don't. Does it feel? Did it? Does it make you sad to watch it now? Like, as, especially as you, you were talking about, you know, watching as an older dude. No, um, it doesn't make me sad uh, because it's so goddamn funny. It's really funny. I mean, really, really, really funny. The script is so good. Um, I mean, there is a melancholy, I think, mm, that washes over you. Uh, and, and you do wonder, especially now, like I said, watching it as an, as an older guy, uh, like what happens after Marwood leaves? Like yeah. what, what happens to Withnail? I don't think anything good. Which is the character that it was The character that it was based on, and this is somewhat hearsay, but the character was based on died of throat cancer in the mid-90s. Oh, uh, really? And there was a, it is perhaps due to his uh, actually drinking lighter fluid like with Nail does in, oh, wow. in this movie. Yeah. That it's rough. Seems... It's rough. Rough chuckles there. <laughs> that was tough. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, there's so so many funny moments. So, like, the Danny stuff, There's you get two great Danny sequences. That first one where he's first introduced. <laughs> and just that guy's voice, man. Like, I, that guy can't say a line without me laughing. It's so good. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, and then the last one where he they, they come back and he's basically been squatting with presuming Ed. <laughs> one of the great character names of all time. Presuming Ed, who Danny is is getting out of the drug business to start a doll company with presuming yeah. Ed. Because presuming Ed's niece has a doll that pees. Right. And Danny and presuming Ed are going to make a doll that shits that itself. Shits. And that's like, their, that's his business. That's his business. Uh, uh plan yeah and yet it doesn't come across as some whack i mean if this was some hollywood version it would just that would be such a dumb joke but it works in this movie um the the oh my god <laughs> uh the this danny line from the very end of the movie <laughs> this last scene where uh -huh. we real like he this character is very out there but he also sums he, because he is is sort of unhinged a little bit he's able to talk about thematic elements of this movie without oh, yeah. having to ground this is a line that i'm reading here um if you're hanging on to a rising balloon you're presented with a difficult decision let go before it's too late or hang on and keep getting higher posing the question how long can you keep a grip on the rope they're selling hippie wigs and woolworths man That's, the greatest decade in oh history of mankind is over 
And as presuming Ed here has so consistently pointed out, we have failed to paint a black. <laughs> it's like, oh, dude, that is so great. They're selling hippie wigs in Woolworths. It's like, that's the whole movie. Like, li- that's literally the yeah. whole movie. Like, that's the whole movie in, all, in a single line. Uh, it, it's in, it's wildly well written. There's not a line out of place in this no. entire movie. Yeah, and, and they, uh, he has that that carrot joint, and they, they, and, and earlier they challenge each other to a drug off. Basically, that's such a good scene when he brings out that pill, and Richard E. Yes. Grant's like, "Give it to me, I'll run a mile." <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "I can do ten times the drugs that you can." <laughs> Oh, God. But it works. It never comes across as like some silly sort of juvenile movie. I think because of that tragic undercurrent and like you were talking about, the the passage of time and the, the 60s dawning into the 70s, there's there's just so much more substance, so much more meat on the bone in this movie. Yeah, it's it's we could honestly like repeat. Like, it would be a more entertaining podcast if we just read the script of West Allen and I, because that's literally the entire film is like that. I feel so jealous of people that have not watched this movie. I know. Because it is, I mean. You get to see it for the first time. It's so good. And it, you really do. A lot of the the transfer and sound stuff is, like, not so great. I watched it on a, oh, my God, it drove me crazy. Had my big TV there. Put, a, put in the Criterion Collection DVD uh, uh-huh. with and I, which is one of the very few places you can like track it down. Uh, it's in four three. Oh, really? Letterboxed four three, right? Oh, weird. Four three here, and then letterbox top and bottom. Like it, it, it is wild. I, there, and that is like that's the 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 criterion. You told me it was on the Criterion service, right? You can get yeah, it. you can watch it on the Criterion channel, and if you're a listener, you can. Sign up and get two weeks of that for free. If I mean, I would recommend just paying for the Criterion channel because it's great. But uh, you can get two weeks free, watch a bunch of movies, and cancel if you want. Yeah, if you, you want, anything you want to. <laughs> um, still, still, yeah, still free country. <laughs> cancel. Uh, there's something else too about a movie with uh, two guys on the take. Like uh, every time, every time they can, they're trying to scam booze. Whether it's using the money from the wellies. Uh, when they're supposed to go buy boots and he goes in and he has that great scene in the bar where he goes, we'll have to work quickly. A couple of quadruple whiskeys and another pint, please. <laughs> or every time Monty leaves the room or turns his head, Richard E. Grant or Withnail grabs that bottle of sherry, sherry, and just chugs as much as he can before he comes back into the room. It's just so funny. It's very, yeah, it's very, yeah. The, the obsession with, con- he has a, um, he has a, um, Danny has invented a device that you fill right. with a child's <laughs> urine, fill the child's urine, and then drunk drive, and then you demand a urine test when you're arrested, yeah. and you fill it with the child's <laughs> fist, which of course there's a fantastic payoff for later in the movie. But um, oh yeah, yeah, it's, absolutely, it's, it's really, really, really good. Um, again, talking about like adult comedies. Yeah, it's sad. There's not. <laughs> they don't let uh, let people make these anymore. Uh, another one of my favorite parts is you know when they are at the cottage and they just they have no food, and they're trying to get food. He goes to the neighbor, this old lady, who's basically just like "fuck off, get out of here," asking for eggs. <sighs> and they eventually get some food through her son, who is the farmer with the farmer, the polythene wrapped around his leg. <laughs> 
And he asked what's happened to his leg, and he goes, got a randy bull up there. Gave me one in the knee. <laughs> um, it, oh, man, I, I, this is a very good movie. I feel, I, I, if you haven't seen it, just make sure you track it down. I, I recommend it's, it's subtitles, too. Uh, this is the first yeah, time. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, I watched it with subtitles last night for the first time, and there's just so much more uh, that you get. And then there's still a lot that, as an American, flies right over my head because so much is colloquial. Um, and that was what apparently when when uh, Robinson was getting the movie made, they really wanted him to change the script to make it more uh, broad, I think. Uh, not comedy broad, but just they're like, you have all these sayings in here that people are not going to get because it's 60s Camden Town, London specific. Yeah. And he was like, no, nah, this is the movie. Like, uh, And he couldn't get it made. Uh, and so they he got money to do it himself from George Harrison. From George Harrison, yeah, weirdly. Do you know what it, it actually is funny it reminds me of is The Princess Bride in that regard because that's another 1987 movie, yeah. exact same you know time period as this, where it's like did not have a bit, did not make a splash in theaters, but was re was released in the exact right time period yeah. where VHS was starting to become so commonplace that everybody could like buy movies on VHS, right? And rewatch them and rewatch them. And there's this this period of like right around this like mid to late 80s period where like movies like this start to be able to develop a cult following. You release this movie five years earlier maybe and no one's ever, and maybe no one's ever heard of it because like yeah. it doesn't have the, you know, if it flops the one time in theaters, like that that might be it for, for the movie. Yeah. You know, you don't have the VHS release there or, or rental options. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I never really thought about that, but I think you're totally right. The other thing that stood out at me too last night was the narration in this movie. Narration can be so tricky, um, but it works so well in this movie because it's not, I think narration at its worst is so overly sentimental and instructive, but this mm -hmm. is, this is his, more of his sort of inner monologue and uh, like it informs the character, but it doesn't telegraph like what's going to happen next, which is the worst kind of narration. Yeah, it's much more about um uh thematic them yeah, laying out the thematic bounds of the movie much more than it is about like his own motivations yeah. or um any, anything like that. It's much more about talking the the you know, talking around the edges of the movie than something that sort of dictates this is how this character is feeling. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. In my best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. 
And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Before we get to the the, the very end, because we should dissect that scene a little bit the um two more big standout laughs for me were the when he sets that when he sets that fucking chicken on the log in the smoker yes <laughs> just sits him upright the chicken that they killed somehow uh P- peter says uh uh that when they're looking at the chicken uh it's got dreadful beady eyes yeah. they stare at you best kill it quick before it tries to make friends with us <laughs> It's so good. And he's so he's he's such a good actor, too. I think he it's easy to think about Richard E. Grant's performance. Um, yeah. As such a bravura performance. But Paul McGann is so great in this. His, his desperation yeah. and fragility <laughs> really sells it. Like, yeah, he's so desperate. There, there's a scene that you were talking about the guy insulting him for being a ponce as uh-huh. he goes in the bathroom. He's terrified. And, He's terrified. He's like <laughs> peeing in the urinal with this. He walks by the guy, doesn't even register facially when the guy's like perfumed pont. Doesn't register, keeps a smile on his face, goes into the bathroom, absolutely has a breakdown yeah. trying to figure out what he did wrong to this guy. And then walks back out of the bathroom with the exact same expression he had uh-huh. walking in. And just yeah. like huge face it on grand and just informs with nail that they need to leave the bar right then. Yeah. And of course, um, with nail, with all his, you know, which fucking guy said that to me? And, you know, he turns around like he's going to fight the guy, of course, and then they bail because he's not going to fight anybody. No. Yeah. He said he suggested they say, get outside and handle it like <laughs> gentlemen. <laughs> he, oh, there's actually a beautiful <clears throat> line reading there where Richard E. Grant sees the size of the guy and says, um, what my friend acquaintance here <laughs> was trying to get like almost says friend stops yeah <laughs> changes to acquaintance well my acquaintance here he's constantly selling him down the river like all through the yeah. whole movie it's it's hysterical yeah and i think that that's like it's very uh uh seeing the end of that relationship i think says a lot about both of them yeah yeah absolutely um the other big standout scene for me co- uh, comedy wise is the tea room scene when they uh, go to buy the wellies, they get loaded at the pub and then go to get some cake and tea <laughs> in that stuffy tea room. It's such a good scene. looks so good. Uh, I Also, it makes me hungry every time I see it because I know that <laughs> feeling of like 
I got too drunk in the middle of the day right. and I need to do something <laughs> right now or I'm headed for disaster. Well, and just how proper the Brits are with everything. Uh, it's so great. What a great yeah, culture. Yeah. With Nail announces that they are uh, millionaires, they, uh, are going to make a movie. Oh, that's <laughs> they might right. want to film a scene there. <laughs> yeah, Peter says we're not drunks; we're multimillionaires. And then that With Nail says he wants to film a scene there, and the that they might film a scene there in the <laughs> in the tea room locations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So that last that last sequence, you know, like you mentioned earlier, uh, Marwood gets a job. Like, there's only one way this movie can end. And that is this way, like they have to part. Um, yeah. They have to break up in a certain sense. And Marwood has to be the one that uh, grows up and gets the work. And Withnail has to be the one that is left behind. It's the only way this movie can go. And he gets that haircut. And the the physical transformation is just so striking against Withnail's sameness in yeah. that same ill-fitting suit with his sort of greasy hair and still trying to have that last drink and get drunk with him one last time. And he won't, he won't do it. You know, that's so like symbolic of this parting of ways. And so sad. Yeah. Which they do without hanging a hat on it. Yeah. Which is so smart. Like they don't, they don't like make a big, but you've always loved booze. Yeah. We drink so much booze together. How could you? You've yeah. really changed. Like, <laughs> Are you just reading the script? I'm so jealous. Yeah, that uh uh the uh the last thing, okay, so the last shot of the movie. The, you want to talk about like having faith in yourself as like one a screenwriter, two a director, three an actor. Yeah. The last bit of the movie oh, is man. with Nail by himself in the rain reciting the uh in the rain reciting the what a piece of work is man speech from from Hamlet. Yeah. It's like so fucking good. It's so good, but also like, so you're going to end the movie with Hamlet. Yeah. Like you're going to take a bit from <laughs> Hamlet. Richard E. Grant is going to fucking, I mean, absolutely sell it. I don't know if the dude ever played Hamlet, but he should have. He's absolutely brilliant in these 20 seconds of Hamlet that he does yeah. at the end of the movie. And then that's it. It's just hit with nail by himself. Um, it's, it's really, really the courage of that, like the, 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 bravado of that like well we're just going to crib from hamlet real quick at this part and you know it's it deserves to be in our movie and we should be in the same breath as hamlet um it's it's genius and he's his performance is is perfect like everybody's performances uh in the movie because there's not really a lot of characters but every i think every one of them is uh does a fantastic job yeah and uh there's that also that one line that kind of foreshadows uh earlier uh, I will never play the Dane. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uncle Monty. Uh, what is it? Such a sad moment in, in a young man's life when he wakes up one morning and realizes I will never play the Dane. Yeah. And I mean, God, this movie, I can't. I just can't say enough about it. It's uh, and, and actually. And, look and that maybe that's him. Re oh, man. So I had never connected those two. But like. That's the moment for Withnail realizing that he'll never play the Dane. So he plays like him that, in the rain. Yeah. By the zoo with those wolves behind him, behind the fence. Oh God. It's just such a powerhouse last scene. And uh, I, I looked up the, what a piece of work is man just to get sort of Wikipedia's take. <laughs> and it says this, and it's just noted, so, <laughs> noted, noted theatrical scholar, yeah, Wikipedia. Wikipedia, Dr. Wiki. 
And Dr. Wiki said uh, in this passage, Hamlet is expressing his melancholy to his old friends, in this case, I guess the wolves, over the difference between the best that men aspire to be and how they actually behave and the great mm. and the great divide that depresses him. And that's it, man. And that's, that's the movie. Yeah, that's, that's the movie. God, what a good flick. So great. Um, I feel like still not as, you know, you said it's not quite a cult hit. I think that's fair. I think it has a bigger impact on people. I still don't feel it's like, I feel like it could be a lot more well known. It should so. be heralded as like one of the greats. Like it is, it deserves to be in the same breath as pretty much every other comedy classic. But I feel like did never made like the American impact um, that, that, you know, a lot of other movies did. Yeah, it's on some lists in England as like a top 20 all-time film from England and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's definitely has its due as a cult hit in certain it, circles, it, though. It ain't easy to watch either. I mean, like, thank goodness for Criterion. Cause I know. Like, I've been making do with, with, like, bad VHS and DVD transfers to this movie since we started watching it. Yeah. Like, it, it, there is, if you went to to try to buy this right now i think you're gonna pay like a hundred dollars oh really dvd of it it's like impossible to to find yeah um, well check it out on criterion um i got a question for you too do you say chin chin when you toast okay this is interesting I'm, wow that's so, so funny that you say that my wife and I wanted to start saying it. Uh -huh. We couldn't figure out if it was racist or not. Oh, and we have spent many, because there's so many things that sneak up on every. If you have not wondered if something is racist, it probably, it probably is. is. <laughs> and that we're like, Chin Chin, is that like a racist thing? We Googled and Googled and Googled, could not find it, but couldn't find enough that said it's definitely not. It's, it's one of those weird things like the origin, I guess, is is not super uh, super clear. We have not found definitive evidence that it is, but uh, it was still, ner we're nervous enough people uh, that we just have <laughs> stick to Prost. Now I, uh, oh boy, Prost is super racist, dude. No, dang I'm it, kidding. Um, I I didn't know if this was the origin or not, or if that was a common usage. I think it's a common. I've heard other British people say it. Okay. I don't know if there. It's from from this movie, but uh, I never I knew. I've had certainly had plenty of friends that said it over the years. Um, yeah, and I always think it's a nice little shorthand for. Being it's sort of like being in a little club, like if you love this movie, you know. Yeah, yeah. It says a lot about who you it's are. It's definitely what put it on the map. If it was not the the uh, originator of it, it's definitely what made it uh, more common. Totally. All right, dude. You got anything else on with nail? If not, we'll finish with the quick five questions. Wrap it up. All right, dude. Uh, what was the first movie you saw in a theater? Are you thinking? <laughs> I am. I am trying to. I. You would think I would know that offhand, um, but it. Pretty sure E. T. Okay, that's that is the. That's a great uh, first movie. Let me see. When did that come out? Let me double check my memory there. That was eighty two. As long as movies stayed in theaters, then that is possible. All right. Yes, I'm going to go with E. T. Okay. Uh, what was your first R rated movie? Uh, well, that's funny that we've covered my first home R-rated movie was Sleepaway Camp Part 2, uh, okay. or possibly 3. I didn't know if you fully and, watched it. Well, I didn't get through it, so I guess, no, we will go. We will give it to T2. Okay. We will give the, the <laughs> honor of fully completing. Yeah, because you don't watch 10 minutes of a movie from between your fingers and say, yeah, I saw that. 
I saw that. Well, some people do. Uh, let me see. Number three. I'm trying to find my list because I don't do these as much anymore. Um, all right. Here it is. Number three. And people, listeners are like, dumbing. You know your fucking questions. Uh, do, will you walk out of a bad movie or do you stick it out? I have walked out of one movie. Beverly Hills Ninja. <laughs> oh, I thought you were about to say cop. No, Beverly Hills Ninja I walked out of. Was that I Farley? Just, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, Beverly Hills Ninja walked out of. But that is the only, that is the, uh, by and large, no. Uh, nowadays, like, it is so absolutely rare. Well, I mean, not nowadays in the coronavirus times, but since I've had kids, it's so rare that I'll, like, be able to get to go to a movie theater. Yeah. That I would probably just, no matter what, right. like show static. I don't care. <laughs> no, I'm with you. Well, and uh, and I talk about this a lot with other parents. It's like you don't you don't take flyers on bad movies anymore. You go when you know it's a great movie. I I saw uh, the last time I, I went to the movie theater. I uh, I saw someone looking at posters and then talking with someone about what to go see. And I almost had like a melt, like, are you serious? You just showed up. We were like, what's starting soon? Uh, people do what? that, dude. I've, uh, that's a thing. I've heard other what people do that. What a luxury that must be. Yeah, jeez. You're either independently wealthy or you're very sad. I've planned it. It's like weeks of planning. Uh-huh. And I've built my schedule around going to see this flick. Yeah. Um, number four, I used to ask guilty pleasure, but now I'm more akin to ask um, if if you could be – or how about this? If you and your brothers could be in any classic comedy, what movie would that be? You don't have to be the leads, but if you could place yourself in any classic comedy, you, you, Trav and Griffin. I think I would love if we were in a Marx Brothers movie, but the Marx Brothers were still in it. Uh-huh. And it was just kind of us. We were the three, three people were just like, this is wild. Like, we're just staying off the side. These guys are nuts. Is everybody seeing this? This is hilarious. <laughs> All right. Mark's Check brothers. these guys out. There were three less funny brothers that are just sort of watching <laughs> from the sidelines, encouraging them, putting them up to different things. I love it. Uh, and then finally, number five, movie going 101. What is your, when, when you could go to movies, what was your routine? Where do you like to sit? What do you like to eat? Ooh, okay. So I buy, I will buy too many snacks mm-hmm. uh, because I'm at the movies. Like I'll get the big drink, I'll get some candy yeah. to, and some popcorn, kind of do the whole thing. Uh, I go with my kid a lot now to go see like kids type movies. Yeah. So I get like a booster seat uh, if the theater is available. I like to be aisle. Okay. Like sort of center. Like if you enter on the left, house left, I'll be like center of the house mm-hmm. but like far left on the aisle because I like to use the bathroom at least once mm-hmm. in every movie I've ever been in. <laughs> I can't hold it that long especially with this huge soda I'm pounding down yeah I'm the same uh, way so I'll use the run P app to time it out do you really oh yeah with every movie yeah obsessively alright I've never I, used I, that I use, I've heard about it I should check that out it's perfect it's you know what you can do now they updated it to where you can press a button when the movie starts and then you'll get a little buzz in your pocket when it's like, Hey, it's a good time to go pee. (laughs) You don't even have to take your phone out of your pocket. She's like, Oh wow. I'm going to go pee right now. And then while you're peeing, you read the synopsis of the bit that you're missing. And then you go back in and people, every time, 
I've been married to my wife for uh, 14 years uh-huh. a week ago. Every time I come back, she'll try to tell me what I miss. I was like, you do not need to tell me what I miss. <laughs> the Run PF That's has informed sweet. me. I am fully caught up. Awesome. I got to check that out. All right. Thanks, buddy. This was great. No problem, Chuck. Thanks for having me on your program. Of course. It's good to see you and glad everyone's doing well and hanging in there. And um, let's, let's stay in better touch. How about it? That would be great, Chuck. I don't have any friends anymore because I just sit in my house all the time. <laughs> what are your socials, social channels? Oh, at uh, Justin McElroy on Twitter. That's it. Or McElroy.family is our website. So you can go there and check out all our shows. All right. Fantastic. Thank you, Justin McElroy. Thank you, Chuck. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today.